Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello, this is Andrea Schwartz, along with my co-host, Reverend Steve Macias, on January 25th, 2019. Today, our presenting question is this, is retirement a biblical concept? So Steve, is there any basis in scripture for planning to stop working when you get to a certain age? Well, that's a very interesting question, and it's one that our culture doesn't handle very well. We have a world that seems to want to end at 65, but today we want to discuss the question behind that question, and that is, is what we do, our job, our profession, what we're doing every day in our nine to five to make a living, is that the sum total of what God is calling us to do? Or is there something more to our profession or vocation that is bigger and more important than just a 401k amount? And so I hope that in our, with our guest today and our discussion that we can go into why is it that there's this conflict between career and retirement, between calling and purpose. And I hope that, Andrea, that you have some, some beautiful insights, as usual, on this retirement question. Well, I'm getting to the point in life where I am the focus of retirement financial people. Everybody wants to tell me what I can do so I can relax and enjoy what time I have left. And between my husband and me, the thought of not working is actually painful if we had to figure out what to do other than productive work, um, I think we'd both be miserable and we, we might even turn on each other. Who knows? But today, we have the honor and pleasure of speaking with a couple, Roger and Marcy Oliver, who together through their marriage have gone through more than one career. And there came a point, I'm sure, which they'll share with us, how they had to make a decision of here we are in our life. Do we retire? What is it we do? And so without much further ado, because I don't want to give away your story, welcome my good friends, Marcy and Roger. Hi, Andrea. Hi. I'll let you guys decide who goes first. Sort of give us a little bit about your background and why I'd even pose this question to you about is it biblical to retire? Probably easiest to start with it. We're both from uh, Christian families, and our parents hosted missionaries who were on furlough, uh, some of them very influential. It was uh, an old doctor, I can't remember his name right now, who came to visit. He has a white-haired man who had been a missionary, medical missionary in China. And then uh, our dear friend that always came and visited us, who was uh, born and raised in China, but he, because he couldn't go back after the Iron Curtain came down, he was a missionary in Trinidad and Tobago for years in a 40 year missionary career with team. The last 10 years of his life, he went back to Singapore to open churches that the communists had turned that his father had built and the communists had turned into warehouses. And that was my father's favorite project to donate to in those last 10 years. And these people in your house, uh, they're kind people. They pray for you. Uh, both of us had a dream of being missionaries. Marcy thought she was marrying a missionary, 
and Uncle Sam got his hands on me, and I liked it. I was good as an infantryman, and one thing led to another. Children were born. The Army sent me to the Language Institute in Monterey, California, to learn Spanish, and I served for the 7th Special Forces Group in Panama. Uh, we served in Panama and in Honduras, and all, but through all of those years, we felt we were being called to be missionaries in Latin America. I had gone on a mission trip before they were popular in 1968 for two months all the way to Nicaragua with a group called Practical Missionary Training. And I came back sure that my calling was to be, was to be a missionary in Latin America. So we may be in a, a strange kind of a, not a clear answer for people. It's not, it wasn't a big decision for us. When I got passed over for five for the fifth time to make lieutenant colonel for a number of reasons, I just felt like God had taken a rucksack off my back and said, we're through playing now. Uh, now you're going to do, excuse me, what I've called you to do. So it wasn't a big Gosh, what do we do now? It was something we were driven towards. We've been driven towards all these years. Now we're closing in on 20 years in Mexico. Wow. Okay, so I'm going to go to Marcy. You thought you were marrying a missionary. Mm -hmm. When he decided to become a career military, was that close to being a deal breaker or what? (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. It wasn't. I always have felt like even as a little kid, that whatever I did, I was a missionary. Whether I was playing with my friends or in school, I was always talking about Jesus Christ, uh, sharing the gospel with my friends in my simple little ways. And when he went into the army, it wasn't a big surprise necessarily. It was something he felt like he was called at that time. He felt like he was obligated to do it because of his background and his thinking. It wasn't a deal breaker at all. Uh, I just knew that I was marrying Roger, and whatever he did, I was going to follow him. And that's basically what I've done for the last 48 and a half years. Uh, A week before we got married, I got a a notice to go and take a draft physical. And I said, you know, I'm not going to fail this physical, and I'm liable to get drafted and be sent to Vietnam. You still want to marry me. So you're not getting away that easy. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, and then I wouldn't say we made, I didn't make a decision to make a career out of the Army. It was one assignment after another, after another, and then pretty soon you say, man, I am sick and tired of this. I want, I want, I want to go to seminary and be a missionary. As a matter of fact, when I was, when I was ordained, my uh, battalion commander from one, that promoted me to captain was in Dallas and came to the service, and he he reminded me, I says, you remember that I always was going to be a missionary. And he says, yes, I do. And I probably try to talk to that, talk you out of it. And I said, yes, you did. And he's a fine Christian man, R.J. Wooten. Yeah. So many years in the Army, you start saying, well, wait a minute. I could retire in about four and a half years. It'd be silly to quit now. And then we'd have a retirement to do what God's calling us to do. And that's how it's worked. Yeah. yeah. And you also seem to have, a during these years while you're working for the Army, the language training, the skill sets, and the business acumen being developed. There's a special skill set that you're learning in your first job or first calling that's right. going to be especially helpful in your second calling. I know I work with a lot of these uh, you know, young life or youth ministers who go straight from a seminary youth ministry class into the mission field here in, the, in our area, and yeah. I would pray that they had some real-life experience like you had. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. Yeah. There's uh yeah, you get run over by an 18 wheeler, but, uh, you know, I got to jump out of airplanes and, and I got some, uh, some high pressure leadership experiences. The army sent me for an MBA at Syracuse university. I ran the budget for the 82nd airborne division for three and a half years before I went back to a battalion. Number of things. It's just, you know what they say about the army. If you don't like your job or your boss, wait six months. One or the other or both will change. So before we get to what you and Marcy are doing now, I'd like to know, and you know, this might be a subject for another time, another place, but just briefly, is it a conflict of interest to be a Christian in the military? I don't think so. David okay. was most David was my model, and the other favorite that I quoted a lot to my troops was Nehemiah. Okay, so you can be a representative and an ambassador for Jesus Christ, even if you wear the uniform of the United States of America. You must be, and uh, you should be the best soldier there is, and uh, uh, maybe that would be a good subject someday. I was thinking about writing about my experiences as a company commander in Panama because they were really something. And uh, out of the blue, God sends me this first sergeant who had spent 14 years in Vietnam with the Green Beret, a uh, wild man, and late in about five years before he came to me, he and his second wife, a Japanese lady, became Christians in a Pentecostal church. And uh, so the first sergeant and I would pray for the troops together. Uh, when I gave a, a non-judicial punishment to a troop, I would say, the first sergeant and I have something we'd like to say to you with your permission, and we'd share the gospel with them. Excellent. So tell me, how did the transition happen to, you know, I, I take it you went to seminary because you said you were ordained. How yeah. did you end up where you are now in Puebla, Mexico? We thought we might go back to Honduras. And uh, I wanted to go. We were thinking, looking around at different missions. We ended up going with the one that I knew best from my 1968 missions trip. It was called Central American Mission, CAM International. It's now called uh, Camino, Global. Camino Global. So we were thinking about going back to Honduras, but they had a lot of missionaries there in a lot of years and a lot more people in Mexico, a lot younger people. And uh, I wanted to take my son on a mission trip, and he kept skipping out on me. So I brought him to Puebla, Mexico with me for a weekend youth ministry conference thing. And one thing led to another. We met a young man his age who begged me to come and disciple him because he had some issues in his family. And one thing led to another. I needed an excuse to be there. So I ended up working in a seminary there in Puebla for 12 years. I think it was 12 years, mm -hmm. wasn't it? I imagine that's quite the transition, though, going from a, a stable you know, government job with probably a pension and health care and salary <laughs> to going into the life of you probably have to raise your own support or maybe maybe you're financing this off of your pension. How do how do you guys make that work, that transition in your life? Well, I had a, I have my retirement. I made it to 22 years and, and retired, went to seminary. It took me seven years to get a four-year degree at Dallas Seminary. And uh, it wasn't really that big of a, uh, as an instrument, you get sent around and you do all kinds of adventures and, and you know, throwing your body out of an airplane and all that. So, and you, you're used to high pressure. So to me, it wasn't really that, it was like, Oh, this is a piece of cake. Uh, nothing that's happening here is near as stressful, nearly as stressful as as the kind of dangers I faced uh, wearing a uniform. So mm. uh, 
uh, and I had the discipline. Uh, it was good for me because uh, I had I developed the work habits, the work ethic, and I just kind of fell into uh, doing this sort of thing. It's an, that's another long story, but it's I I guess you could summarize it like, summarize it like this: a version, my version of the proverb that man makes his plans but God orders his steps is life is what happens when you're planning something else. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of that that happens is you just, well, you think you had a vision of where you're supposed to, you think you're supposed to go. And it, it, God changes it and guides you along the way. It was like, okay, I have this goal since I was about 17 to grow up to be known as a man after God's own heart. So God says, okay, we're ready to work on that now, but I'm going to meet you in Galilee and your Galilee is Pueblo, Mexico. So Marcy, he went to the Language Institute. I don't imagine they send the wives to the Language Institute. So what was it like for you going to a place to live where maybe you weren't as literate and well-spoken in Spanish as your husband? It was a challenge, and that still is part of my challenge even after 18 years there. But I did go to classes in Honduras. So I had some background in Spanish when we did go to Mexico and I took uh, about five more months uh, when we first went down there in Spanish classes. And you just, you have a lot of friends and you have to be, you have to keep practicing and you have to change your attitude that yes, I can get it. Or instead of no, I'll never get it (laughs) because it's self-prophesying if you say that. And that's quoting my husband. Uh, he helps me a lot with it, but I have a lot of very understanding friends. It is a challenge, and it's still a desire of my heart to be able to speak more fluently, to speak my heart, and that's where I struggle a lot of times. So tell us what you're actually doing in Puebla, Mexico, and I know it's not just one thing. It's a couple of things, so why not share with our listeners how you have decided to retire <laughs> And what that looks like for you. Retires, being tired a second time. Well, while I was in the seminary, I found that the way you support seminaries in the third world, in the places we call it the third world, whatever, where there isn't a real strong Christian witness is you you have a facility and you start a school or you have uh, some kind of businesses that rent from you. And uh, one of the strongest uh, seminaries in, in Latin America is in Brazil, and they have a high school in the day and their seminary classes are at night. So I thought, well, let's try this. So we tried it. And as we were going along there, we were making transition, our thinking about realizing things were not adding up. Uh, we ended up discovering Calcedon and Rush Dooney and all those kinds of things. And, and so our attitude shifted from starting this school in the seminary just to support the seminary to, man, this thing is having more impact than the seminary it has had in its 50 years of existence. And the thing began to grow, and we never advertised, but pretty soon we were overloaded. With At one time, we had 95 children, and that happened within three years of starting with five. And, and so that thing just, you know, it's kind of like you're in the boat, in the river, and God's guiding you, and it's carrying you along. You're running to keep ahead of it to try to follow where, where are we going next. So it's not like we have this big, huge strategic plan. We're reading and studying as fast and as hard as we can and getting the idea of what impact this thing is having. And along the way, we decided to start a website where we, we that can be developed a lot more, where we can we write articles, translate articles, 
and write articles that are related to what's going on in the culture around us in the news and the politics. And we publish and uh, we translate and publish books on that site as well. And then uh, one day after a parent's school, school of parents, uh, one of the moms comes up and says, you need to start a church because our pastor is not teaching us what you're, what you're teaching us. And so that's how we start a little church in the learning center as about, about six half, years ago. Yeah, how many families are there? About half a dozen or so. Yeah. We're not in a hurry to grow it into some big monster thing. We want them to grow. It's going to take two or three generations before that thing really becomes something solid. So that's kind of, that's sort of a short version of what we're doing. So explain what the Learning Center is and how you're set up. Is it a traditional school? No, it's set up. We tried several different versions of, of a, sort of a homeschool Thing where we have the moms come in with their children and they're the supervisors, but it's more family oriented. It feels like family. You couldn't find a curriculum that was satisfactory. If you wait till you find something perfect or you write something yourself, you'll never start. So we discovered that Accelerated Christian Education, ACE, uh, has a life in Mexico that it's only about five years less than the existence of the entire ministry. In the United States has been here for probably 40 years and there's over 230, I think, uh, learning centers in ACE learning centers in Mexico. As we developed that, we had, we learned we had to develop a lot of our own stuff for our high school students and elsewhere. So we use their material. We use them, the method, the discipline, the, uh, the rhythm of the school is based on that. The supervisors. And we'd rather not have somebody who was trained in education. We'd rather have moms and dads. We have two families, mom and dad, and they're, and, uh, well, the one's just a little, how old is he? Not even, he's two years old. A brand new little family. And this other family has a kid, a boy in junior high and a girl in primary still. And they're kind of the heart and soul of the thing. And, uh, we have some, uh, moms that have been with us since we began. One of them's, uh, the heart and soul of the kinder. And as we've moved along here, we've discovered this one doesn't get along well with the junior high kids, but she works really well with the little bitty ones. And this, this gal here, she just, she just found her calling with junior high kids and high school kids. And that sort of thing, as you move forward, you find who is gifted at what, where they're comfortable. And they've been so faithful every year. We said, well, I'm, we're not the Holy Spirit. We're not going to beg you to stay. And, uh, but they keep coming back. It's just, it just shocks us how the thing is keeps going. So we have kindergarten, primary, junior high, and high school. So Marcy, uh, what's your role in the school in terms of, are you a teacher? Are you the administrator? What do you do? Well, basically I just uh, help the staff, uh, help Roger do what he has to do. I was doing the accounting, but we have a better accounting system right now. I make sure that some of the bills get paid, the staff gets paid. Some of the documents that they need printing, stuff like that. Just kind of like a an administrator is my role. I do have a, a an institutes class with some of the moms that wanted to study. We're, we're now in the seventh commandment. We meet once a week. Kind of like what you do. We use your guidelines and your questions and talk about each section. Uh, and that's fun. Uh, we active in the church just, you know, Sundays and and then our small groups that we have, when we do that, we I keep those kind of organized, make sure Roger's studying and being prepared for it. 
we are we are old enough to be mom and dad to all of the supervisors and grandparents or great grandparents to the students. There's 85 of them. Right. And so since you guys are, are old enough, why aren't you just enjoying retirement in the United States? I mean, you did your first career. What is it about this ministry? Are there experiences or environment? Are there conversions? What is it that motivates you to continue this work and this ministry here later in this stage of your life, your second career? Why, why are you spending this phase, which most Americans would buy a motor home, buy a retirement home, buy a vacation home, live on their retirement. You worked your entire life. Why aren't you enjoying the fruit of your labors? Why are you now going and doing something that's probably just as difficult or more than difficult than your previous job? The first thing that I think of right now as you asked that was what is the, the end principle of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And all those things that you just said, we've thought about. <laughs> we've thought about every time we passed a motor home, we'd say, ah, one day we're going to have one of those and we're going to do that. But the bigger picture that I have personally is, is working for the kingdom of God, doing something for future generations to help change the attitude and the, the things that kids are learning and seeing and, and what's going on. And even in the States and in Mexico to give to hopefully, and that's our prayer is that someday things will change and maybe somebody will remember what, what they learned at the learning center or what was taught. That's, that's what keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Now you see changes in, uh, in the staff and in their families and in the people that come to you and the people that leave and the problems that you solve, that you face, that you can't figure out how to solve and a solution comes up and, uh, oh, so I want to quit every once in a while. And about a week later, I'm bored and got to do something. I probably would, I'd probably die if I didn't have something there to go to, to be around and people that care for us. I think Mexico has blessed us more than we've blessed them, the community. So to be able to pour your lives into that thing, to see and have a vision, one of the things we keep, our our mission, kind of mission statement is uh, building the spiritual and intellectual uh, foundations for the future Christian civilization in Mexico. And that's a through two to three generation process. It's not, we're not going to see the fruit of that. We're just have a mustard seed we're planting. But that vision of what it's going to, we are confident because Christ is sovereign, that that's what's going to happen. And that, that does keep you going. Although there are times when you, you every five years, you kind of reevaluate and say, well, uh, is it time for a third career? Is it time? Are we really contributing or are we in the way now? Is it time for the next generation to, to uh, pick this ball up and run with it? And we got to step back and let them fall off the bicycle. Pardon the mixed metaphor. But uh, uh, these are things that we're wrestling with even as we speak. Well, I think it's a very important thing to do, especially you get on in years. You know, maybe you both will live to be 100. I'd like to live to be 100. People say, crazy, you want to live to be 100? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. if I'm healthy and able to serve people and such. But it is important to be mentoring other people to pass the baton to. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, I like what you said, stepping back and let someone else take over. And as long as you're there to sort of, not so much be the safety net, but be to be someone to ask the question. I, I imagine you would have loved to have people mentor you along the way when you started. Absolutely. No, no. And there were, 
I had those experiences with, I was fortunate to have enjoyable learning experiences, working with godly men in the army that were my bosses. And then I had the other extreme that were painful or experience with, uh, you might call them nihilistic leaders as well. So and that's all you're looking back and you see how God had his hand on everything he did. And those building blocks were there for what we are doing right now. What I think is really significant to what you're doing compared to you know, modern American perspective is you're really embracing what the scripture says about uh, respecting and following the elders. You know, in our culture today, uh, the elder is either so self-focused on own personal entertainment or personal enjoyment or completely ignored, marginalized, uh, put to the side. Uh, and all the emphasis is put on the, the younger generation, this 20-somethings. But I think the model we get from the scripture, beginning you know, even as early in the book of Numbers, you mentioned military service. You know, men who were at the age of 20 were called to serve under Moses and the, and, the, and the sons of Aaron as soldiers to follow that old model. That retirement uh, in the Old Testament didn't mean stop working. It meant lead that next generation to the promised land. And I think that most Americans see, I'm going to get to a certain age where I don't have to contribute anymore. Instead of seeing that once you get to a certain age, your responsibility actually increases. You don't stop working. You just use those gifts, those skills, that knowledge, that wisdom to build up the next generation. And I think that's what you guys are doing down there in Pueblo. Well, we do go a little bit slower. <laughs> but you've also started um, businesses, helping local people be in business for themselves. Would you share a little bit about that? Well, we, we wanted, I wanted to do that for a long time. Uh, to try to help the economy, the, the community learn to be self-sustaining and not to depend on the state and so forth. Uh, it's a dream. you got to kind of start someplace. So we gave it a shot and had a, started a, with the help of, a, of a, a pastor in the United States, started a furniture manufacturing company, did the best we could for about three years with that exporting, and it just, one of those things just didn't work that well, although the company still operates. They do custom cabinets and kitchen cabinets and closets and doors and those kinds of things. Uh, and they're managing to support two families. I had a dream of it being a lot bigger than that, but it was bigger than me. And that's just one of those things, you know, there's no guarantee that something's going to work, but you, you keep trying. So that's how that worked. And then we've, uh, we had, uh, an exposition of where an expo kind of a thing where we had all the families come in and uh, set up booths and show what they did, insurance, selling insurance, selling cosmetics, uh, making, making food. And they all kind of get to know each other. So they begin to patronize each other. And I just didn't have the energy to keep organizing that. I asked some of the dads to help me and, and they, they were all, they acted like they were enthused and, but they couldn't do it. So that's one of those things where you, okay, Lord, what, you know, what's next? So you keep dreaming up stuff and throwing stuff against the wall and some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. But the idea is to, uh, and we teach children and we teach, especially the, the, the bigger children and the, and the parents at the school of the parents, what is your responsibility as a parent, as a Christian in this society, in this age? What are you doing? How is this going to work? Why, what is your future? It's way beyond, it's about two or three generations in the future. You're going to, the fruit of what you're doing right now is going to be there. Don't lose heart. 
and you need to become independent rather than necessarily sending your child to school, help start a business. So a lot of these are kind of ideas that we've stolen from other people. Right. No, I can definitely see that. And I think what you guys are offering down there is, is unique and important too. I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, with Weber's book, uh, the Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism, you know, that the idea of the Protestant work ethic and how it in the West has created cultures that produce value and, and increase in economic and, and commercial values. Mm -hmm. uh, you're there in, in what is probably one of the most Catholic countries in the uh, Western hemisphere. And we can definitely see a great contrast between uh, economic principles, views of wealth, uh, views of uh, entrepreneurship and business. How important do you think are our morals, our values, that, that sense of hard work and capitalism um, that you are teaching, you know, being a reformed and reconstructionist minded Christian uh, compared to what is being taught you know, by the predominant Catholic church that is, you know, wealth and money is evil and, and teaching, uh, you know, pity and, and guilt manipulation, uh, where the predominant theology is really uh, Marxism. You know, even though they're claimed to be Christian, they are using liberation theology to explain uh, wage disparities, and they don't have a real theology of, of wealth and finance. Do you find that what you're doing there with the school, the learning center, the church, is helping reinstate or, or reinforce those ideas of, of personal responsibility and uh, economic development? Yes. Uh, I will say that after being living there and studying the history of Mexico and uh, since the mid-19th century on, uh, after the, they threw the, the French out and the, and the positivist philosophers gained a stranglehold on on the thinking that I would say Mexico is a Catholic nation, syncretized Catholic nation in name only. It is secular humanist to the core. They've elected a guy that's uh, about as left as you can get in his thinking. He's taken a country down the pathway of Venezuela. And uh, so we shall see. But these, those kinds of attitudes are more from the positive philosophy than it is from Catholicism. Catholicism is tolerated like a religion was tolerated in the Roman Empire. That's an interesting thing that you don't see on the surface when you come here because of these old churches and the echoes of the Spanish influence, the Spanish empire. But uh, curiously, uh, what uncovered this for, for me was listening to a, an easy chair audio uh, where Rush and uh, uh, RJ and um, Otto, Scott. Otto Scott interviewed Philip Wayne Powell uh, from the University of Santa Barbara in California, who had written a book called The Tree of Hate. And he wrote another book called Mexico's Miguel Caldera, which I also read, and I would love to translate both those books so they get a different perspective on the Spanish Empire and how it was blacklisted and how our attitude towards is the, the, a negative, a black, the black legend, la, la Llena Negra, even our own North American attitudes towards Latin America being colored by that propaganda. And there's a lot of evidence that Christ has been working here to teach a lot of the leftover ethics comes from the scripture and the Spanish, the, the Spanish efforts, the viceroys to actually try to apply the law of God. They call it the, the law of the, of the gospel to teach the indigenous peoples here that, that sort of thing. So we have, we, we, at least we have a foothold. It's not like going to a country where there is uh, Hinduism, or Islam, which is totally hostile, but you, what you have to overcome 
first of all, is positivism as a, as a religious ideology of the state. And uh, there's a great quote from, uh, uh, I think, Christianity and the State is where I found it. I stumbled across it, and I could not believe it. It's one of those things. I read that chapter three or four times over about positivism in Mexico and the influence in Russia's insight into, Russia's insight into how that affected it has been, they've been more, the humanists have had more control over the worldview of Mexico than they have in the United States or Canada. And that's a key to understanding what we're doing here and what we're actually fighting is the Catholic Church here in my, in, in Mexico to me is a paper tiger compared to the real issue of the state school system and the positivism that has, has ruled the mind of Mexico as a total. What I appreciate that you're both doing is the fact that instead of looking at insurmountable odds, you're basically taking the perspective that we'll do what we can with who God brings to us. And on top of everything else you guys are, you're extremely persuasive because way back when, when you were visiting California and we met for coffee, I left that um, exchange committing to doing an English class remotely on Skype. And how many years ago that was? Five, six years ago? I I don't quite know. But I've had the the pleasure and the opportunity to see some young people grow up, and they got a chance under the guise of learning English and speaking English. We went through all of Dr. Rushdoony's Award in Season with the group. We did Lawn Liberty. We went through the uh, biography of Pierre Verret, where you've named your learning center afterwards. And I kind of feel like I've got kids there too. And oftentimes after doing a class, I would tell my husband, I've had some of the best conversations that I've had with young people anywhere. And so if it wasn't for the fact, you never twisted my arm, but if I, I figured if these two are doing it and they're living there, I can certainly tune in. And so we've gotten more sophisticated over time. But uh, I, I love watching their faces because I'm, I'm not easy on them. I'll ask them the tough questions like, so you say you believe in Jesus Christ and that every area of life should be under the rule of God. Tell me about the music you listen to. And then I get these looks on their faces and such. And it, it's good because then I get to hear them speak and get to see that they realize that it's every area of life. And so I've had a good time um, working with them. So thank you, even though there were times I thought, why did I say yes? <laughs> I know. We yeah. thank you. Yeah, we thank you, and we feel like we kind of uh, take you for granted sometimes. We get so busy, you know, uh, juggling the balls, you just depend on who you can depend on. I learned that in the Army. (laughs) Well, I tell you, um, you probably are going to have some people who will want to contact you who might want to put their hand to the plow down there, who might say, you know, this is something that I could do. I have a retirement fund that I could support myself on so I don't have to raise funds. Or, you know, I might even have relatives in Mexico and I might have the ability to, I don't know. How would people get a hold of you? if they wanted more information about what you do and how they might help? The easiest way is just to write us our email. We are with a mission called C10, Commission to Every Nation. 
and you can go to that. Well, the link to us is www.cten.org slash Roger Oliver, all little letters and all run together. And there's even a place you can donate. We do receive donations and they go into what we're, what we're accomplishing there. That's what that's for. And we hope to actually raise more money. We live off our retirement, but what you invest in goes into the kingdom directly. And the second way is through our email. Mine is Roger, my name, R-O-G-E-R, at O-L-I-V-E-R, my last name. The letters M is in Mike, X is in X-ray, meaning Oliver MX, Oliver's in Mexico, dot net. And Marcy's is the same, except the first part is M-A-R-C-Y, at OliverMex.net. Okay. And do you encourage people to come down and visit and see what you're doing? Absolutely. The door is always open. The best way to see what we're doing, we, uh, I'm not very good at, we're not really good at writing a lot because we see feels like we're busy. And I frankly have a tr- hard time reading long prayer letters, so I try to keep them short. And we have a short list of donate donors, which I keep we keep in touch with personally. But we need somebody to help us with that. That would be good. Somebody interested in helping us raise funds so we can buy a piece of property and leave something more permanent. Uh, somebody with a vision for helping us to go on to develop a university of our own that would be accredited in the United States so we wouldn't have to play dance to the music of the Secretary of Education in Mexico. Uh, there's a, any number of things. The way we approach these things, we've got a vision of where Mexico is going to be in the future and what we think God is calling us to do. And people share that vision and say, I have this talent, I have this desire where can you, where could we fit you? What can maybe it's a new thing we haven't thought of that you should be doing? Uh, think of something and come. What does uh, young people that come down? I want to come down and help. I said, well, what's your purpose? What do you expect to accomplish? What do you think God's calling is on your life? If they haven't that thought that through, they don't come back, and that's just as well because they're not going to be too helpful to us. But there's any number of ways. With Nathan Conkey is. Uh, uh, a great case of somebody who was, he was in Korea, contacted me by uh, Facebook and we were chatting. So I'm fed up with this place. I am. I'm going to, I'm going up, I'm going home to Ireland. I said, well, you got to fly over to Mexico anyway. Why don't you stop by and see us? <laughs> and see if you can fit in here. And he's been there. This is his fifth year. So, and he's, he's moving on. The Lord is moving him on. So we could use some help with English like right now. Uh, and God has always been faithful to bring who he wants, when he wants, uh, to fit in. And there's always the issues that God uses conflict to help us grow. Uh, you know, as the peacemakers say, conflict is an opportunity to glorify God, uh, serve others, and become more like Christ. In the middle of a conflict, you, you know, your eyes are full of tears or your veins are sticking out of your side of your head because you're so angry. But you keep repeating that, and sure enough, it works out that way. All right. Steve, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? Because we're coming to the end of our time. Yeah, well, I'm just looking over my notes over what you said here, Andrea. And you said something that I think I'm going to teach my kids here at the Canterbury School. Uh, You said, do what you can where you are with what you have. And I don't think that that's original to you. But in this context of our question of, uh, retirement and vocation and purpose. I'm also reminded of a very uh, often quoted a little bit from Dr. North. And he says that if you're, if you're not smart by 20 and married by 30 
or rich by 40, uh, you won't be. And I've, I've had that um, and passed that on to a lot of young men who are doing exactly what, what Roger's here talking about, figuring out what their purpose is. And maybe uh, as we talk about retirement, the folks who are listening to this need to think about their mission, their purpose, and reevaluate whether or not their goal at 65 is a motorhome or to see that children and grandchildren for the kingdom. Um, and so I'm thankful for your mission in Mexico, and I pray that God will continue to use your example to wake up Americans who are so focused on personal peace and affluence that they're missing out on the opportunities to be the elders in retirement. Well, thank you very much. Thank Thanks you. for the opportunity to chat. And I might, you know, get you later on to talk more about the military, so don't go too far. Okay. And listeners, if you would like to comment on this podcast or make any sort of suggestions for future questions that we might go behind, write us at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you, Roger and Marcy and Steve. Talk to you next time. Talk to you next time, Andrea. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.